let me ask you a question. If you go to a party or a get-together where there's a lot of people, what kind of entrance do you make? Think about it. Okay, so are you the kind of person that you kind of slip in without anybody noticing? Anybody, you can show, show of hands. Okay. What about, are you the kind of person you just, you kind of, you walk in, you don't really make a big interest, but you walk in and immediately you're, you start talking to people, uh, and so pretty soon everybody knows that you're there because you, you work the room, you get around and talk to everybody. That, that's me. What, what about uh, if you're the kind of person who, uh, you come in and, and you don't really want to make a scene, but you kind of go to the host and you let the host introduce you to everybody if you don't know them. That's the wisest thing to do right there. That way you don't get into any trouble. But how many of you like to make a grand entrance? Okay, we all know that we all know those people that right that like to make the big entrance. I mean, they like to do whatever it takes that when they get there, they want everybody to know I am here. Stephen, right, exactly. They're like, man, I'm I'm the center. <laughs> I'm the center of attention. And I want everybody to know that, that I'm here. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything bad about that. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. But, but many times, if you think about it, the way we make an entrance into a group says something to a small degree about our own personality and our status. Right? Maybe if we're more timid, we, we hang back and we just slip in and we don't want people to notice us. Maybe if we're an extrovert, we, we go in and we immediately just engage in conversation. Maybe if we're, uh, you know, the, just naturally the, the life of the party, we're, we're the ones that, that come in and make a scene so that everybody knows, I'm here. And it also says something about status, right? For example, when the President of the United States walks into a room, what do people generally do? They stand up. They stand up. When, when he makes the State of the Union address, I mean, in big pomp and circumstance, the, the uh, sergeant-at-arms walks into the room and shouts out, Madam Secretary, the President of the United States. Or Madam Speaker, not Secretary. I've been watching too much of the Brexit stuff happening in the UK. With great pomp and circumstance, he makes his entrance. And when he comes in, everybody knows it. What about a, a king? You think about a victorious king entering into a land that he's conquered or that he's at war with. How does he enter in? He doesn't just slip in unnoticed. No, he comes on his war horse leading his armies into battle. Or he comes leading on his war horse his captives behind him. The entrance says a lot. And in Matthew 21... There's an entrance that's a very different kind. In Matthew 21, the long-awaited Messiah, which means anointed king, the long-awaited king was entering into the capital city, Jerusalem. Man, the, the moment that, that the Old Testament has been waiting for, it all led up to this. The true king was finally going to enter the capital and assert his authority as king. 
But how would he make his entrance? Would he come in and make a grand entrance? I mean, after all, he is the king. Will he have people come in with trumpets and, and blow them and people come in and shout, here comes the king? No. Will he come in riding on a horse in victory? After all, he is the victorious king. No. Actually, this king shows his humility by riding into town on a donkey. And moreover, this king is not destined to sit on a throne in Jerusalem, but he's destined for a cross. What we see in Matthew 21 that we're about to read is that our king humbled himself, and here's why, in order to bring salvation to the world. We don't have a king that comes on a war horse proclaiming judgment and condemnation. We have a king coming on a donkey in humility proclaiming forgiveness and grace. Let's read God's word together. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Please stand as we read this together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them and on, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them, that is, the cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we're so grateful that your word tells us good news of a king that has come to save. Lord, your word tells us that one day this king will return on his war horse and he will conquer. But Father, we as a church stand here today grateful that instead of coming the first time to conquer as you rightfully should have, bringing judgment for sinners like us. Father, instead, you sent Jesus with grace. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, before we get to Easter, where we celebrate his victorious triumph over the grave, we remember today that this king entered Jerusalem destined for a cross. Lord, help us to respond to him rightly. 
Help us respond to Him in a way that honors Him, that honors You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, we see the entrance of the king there in the first three verses. And we see the foretelling of the king in the next two verses. And then finally, the response to the king there at the end. Now, I just want to point out that this this passage here is the culmination of Jesus' ministry. Everything kind of culminates at this point. Jesus has been traveling, He's been teaching, He's been healing diseases, and finally, He is making His way to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem, as many of you know, is the capital city. It's the city that the Old Testament uh, calls Zion, and it's the city that is said in the Old Testament uh, is the city of the great king. And so Jesus was entering into Jerusalem And it says that him and his followers on their journey come to Bethphage. Now Bethphage is located about a mile east of Jerusalem. And it's kind of like the last stopover, if you will, before you get into town. It's kind of like Stonewall is to Shreveport, you know. It's like you're going to Shreveport. If you're going to stop before you get into town, Stonewall, pretty good place, right? Before you kind of transition on into the city. Where they were, the text says, is on the Mount of Olives which overlooks Jerusalem and overlooks the temple. So Jesus and His disciples, they're seeing Jerusalem in front of them. They're seeing the the temple that He would enter into and overturn tables. And so Jesus stops there at Bethphage and He sends in two of His disciples for a task. He tells them to go and get a donkey and her colt. Now, I just want to go ahead and say, I think this is probably arranged, okay? Wouldn't that kind of be awkward if two disciples just kind of wander into town, go up to some stranger's donkey and says, well, the Lord has need of them. You know, a lot of scholars look at this and say, more than likely, Jesus arranged this ahead of time and uh, had planned this exact thing. And, And this is why that's important. Because Jesus is not just accidentally fulfilling the prophecy, He's not just accidentally riding into town on a donkey where some people might could construe it as him saying, I'm the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Jesus is intentional. He wants everyone to know, I am the true king that's coming into town. I am the true king that is coming to bring salvation. And so he sends his disciples, two of his disciples in the town, uh, to, to meet with somebody who probably has, he's made arrangements with for this purpose. And like all good transactions, it kind of reminds me of like a spy movie. There's a password, you know, just to make sure that this guy is giving the, the donkey and her colt to, to people that, that are the right people. The, the password is, you know, say to them, the Lord has need of them. The Lord has need of them. And so they go into town. They do this. And and, and I want to just draw our attention to to something here and what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, the Lord has need of them, Jesus 
is actually identifying himself as God. A lot of people look at that word Lord uh, that's there in the Greek and they say, well, you know, that could be a, refer, a referral to just a kind of a greeting like Mr. But in, in the context of what we're looking at here, it's also a term that's used in the Old Testament to refer to Yahweh. And he doesn't, he doesn't uh, just say like, a Lord needs them. He uses the definite article, the Lord has need of them. What does this mean? Jesus is saying, I am the same Lord that you see in the Old Testament. I am Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus is saying, I am God. So listen, in Jesus intentionally doing this, he's saying, I am the true king. And in Jesus saying, the Lord has need of them. I am the Lord. He's saying, I'm God. Jesus is saying, He is the King and He is God. And so, I just want to hit pause for a second. I want to hit pause for a second because Jesus asserts Himself as God and as King. So here's the question for you. Who is He to you? Who is He to you? Would you say, yes, He is my God. Yes, He is my King. My allegiance is to Him. And that, of course, is the, the rightful thing. If you're a Christian, we would affirm that with our mouths. We would say, yes, Christ is our God. He is our King. But here's the question for us Christians. Does our life back that up? Can people look at our lives and say, you know, Man, I can look at his life, I can look at her life, and I can see that Jesus is truly the king over that person. I can look at that person's life, I can look at his life, I can look at her life, and I can could, I could just see that, man, you know what? This king is the one that his or her allegiance is to. This king is the one that informs everything about their life. How they spend their money, where they spend their time, all these decisions... They ought to be able, people ought to look at our lives and be able to see Jesus is truly the king over us. What does our own life say about that? Maybe your life says that your allegiance is not to this king, but your life betrays your words and says your allegiance is really to yourself. To your own comfort, to your own idols. Maybe you're here and you're living in sin. You're not walking with him. How can you call him your king? If that's you, how can you call him your king when you don't submit at all to his authority over your life? If you're here today and you haven't reached that point where you've surrendered to him, you know, I, I always say that we're all on a journey and maybe in your journey you, you haven't reached the point where you have uh, trusted him for salvation. Listen, I just want to point out, he's still king over you. You know, a lot of times we like to say, well, you know, the world out there, you know, they're just, they're doing their own thing, but Jesus is our king. Well, we don't realize it. No, actually, he's their king too. I'll give you a good example. When President Trump was elected, what's the big thing that many people started saying in our country? Not, not my president. I'm just looking back and I'm like, whether you, whether you like Trump or not, 
He is your president. If you're an American citizen, He is your president. Okay? Doesn't, doesn't matter where you are on that. I'm not trying to get political here. I'm trying to say, Jesus, whether you submit to Him as King or not, He is your King. He is the one that one day you will bow before, whether you are His or not, and give an account of your life. And so here's, here's my call to you. Since He is King over you, since one day you will bow to Him, why not bow now, voluntarily, out of submission, surrender, repentance, and faith, and receive Him as your Master? And for you, I would say, ultimate question, what will you do with this Jesus? What will you do with this Jesus? So why is Jesus' entrance on a donkey important? Why does it matter? Some scholars say it matters because well, when Jesus is riding in on a, on a donkey, uh, it, it shows that He's not coming for the purpose of war, but He's coming for the purpose of peace. But I think, I think Matthew points us to something a little deeper than that. Matthew tells us not just how He enters Jerusalem, but He tells us how He was foretold. Matthew adds in his narrative here, in verse 4 and 5, this took place, he says, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And he's referring to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah prophesies to God's people when they are distressed, they are discouraged, and he tells them, hey, there is a king who is coming who is going to enter Jerusalem and rule over the nations. They're discouraged. They're coming back from exile and they're like, man, it's just all lost. And he's saying, no, God hasn't forgotten you. He's going to send a king one day who's going to rule over the whole world. And Zechariah tells us that this king would be righteous, but yet humble. Riding on a donkey. This is what Zechariah 9 says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. You see that. He'll speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Zechariah is foretelling of this coming king that's going to come victorious, yet humble. Who's going to come not on a war horse, but who's going to come proclaiming peace. He's going to come victorious, he says, and having salvation. And the Gospel writer Matthew looks back at this prophecy and says, this is Him. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Jesus is the King that is going to be coming not on a war horse, but humbly on a donkey. This is the king whose victory would come 
Not through conquest, but through a cross. This is a king whose vindication would not come through victory, but would come through resurrection. And I just want us to zoom in on that. Instead of a king on a war horse sent to us for punishment, yet a humble king coming instead to save us. Coming to save us. And this king brings good news to us. To those facing judgment, he brings grace. To those full of guilt, he brings hope. To those in chains, he brings freedom. To those who are far away from God, he brings reconciliation. To those who are pursuing vanity and sin in the world, he brings salvation. This is our king riding on a donkey, humble, but yet victorious. This is our King who has come to save us. And so, as He is coming into the capital on a donkey, being foretold by the Scriptures, how will He be received? The last few verses here, verses 6-11, to focus on the response to the King. The response to the King. The disciples return with the donkey and the colt. Why a donkey? Why a colt? Well, Jesus didn't ride both. You see, some, there's some artwork out there that kind of shows Him straddled over the donkey on, and, and the colt, and He's riding both of them into town. That's not what was going on, y'all. That's not what's going on. Most likely, scholars say, He got both of them because He was riding the colt, the, the little donkey, And he's about to ride this donkey into a lot of people. A lot of turmoil. A lot of people moving around. A lot of people shouting. And look, what do animals do when they're faced with that kind of stress? They panic. And so he brought along the mother. But y'all, he was only riding one. He brings both of them. He fulfills the Scripture. The disciples put their cloaks on Uh, the colt, and Jesus sits on it and begins His ride into town. And I just want to look here at the response that He has. Verse 8. Most of the crowd, and this crowd is His followers, He had amassed quite a following as He entered into town. The crowd spread their cloaks on the road And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Basically, they were doing what today we would say they're rolling out the red carpet for their king. They're saying, man, I'm I'm submitting to him. My allegiance is to him. But notice what they're shouting. (coughs) And the crowds that went before him and that were following him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna means save us. These people seem to get it. They seem to understand that this king is 
coming to save. These people understand that this is the true Messiah. Notice what they say, Hosanna to the son of David. A title for the Messiah. They understand that this is the Messiah who comes in the name of the Lord to bring salvation to them. And so they're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. But there's another reaction going on that. As they get into the city, it says when he entered Jerusalem, verse 10, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? Now, the interesting thing about the whole city being stirred up, you've got to realize like this is creating quite a commotion. I mean, here comes... This guy that everybody's heard about making a grand entrance on a donkey. And everybody that's around him, everybody that's following him is throwing their cloaks on the road, throwing palm branches on the road. They're shouting, y'all, this is commotion. And it says the whole city was stirred up. It was literally, literally turned inside out. It was shaken up. There's another time that Jerusalem was said to be stirred up, and that was actually at the birth of Jesus. When Jesus was born, and it was heralded that He is the King of the Jews, King Herod didn't like that very much. And because King Herod didn't like it, Jerusalem didn't like it, and it was saying that they were stirred up in this very same way. They're stirred up because they don't like the idea of this guy coming in saying he is their king. And so their response is one of skepticism and rejection. The real question, though, is not about how they responded. The real question of the hour this morning is how do you and I respond to this king? And as we think about that, I just want to point out one more thing. This king that's coming into town on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy, is on his way to a brutal death on a cross. He's on his way to his death, and he knows it. He knows it. His death is no accident. He didn't just accidentally die. His death was a willing sacrifice for our sins. His death was for us. And as he was dying, here's the good news that we as Christians hold out to the world. As he was dying, God looked at him as if he were us. God looked at him as if He had sinned every sin that we have ever committed, every sin that we are committing now, every sin that we will ever commit. That's why Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Because the Father turns His face away from Him. All Jesus knows in that moment is that the wrath of God is being poured out instead of on Me, on Him. So that now, if we're in Christ, we go free. 
So now what that means for us is we don't just receive forgiveness, we don't just receive grace, but God actually looks at us as if we are His sons and daughters. We get all the benefits that Jesus has as the Son of God, and He gets our blame. And so we get to be in a place like this and sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior! Because He died in our place. So how are we going to respond to Him? This passage tells us that our King humbled Himself in order to bring salvation to us and to the whole world. Jesus was the true King and He prepared to enter the city on a donkey. The prophets foretold of this King who would be victorious yet humble riding into town on a donkey. And people responded to him by either surrendering or rejecting. So the question of the hour is, how are we going to respond to him today? If you're a Christian in the room, if you're a follower of his, your response this morning should be worship and surrender. You should let this gratitude for what he has done for you motivate you to greater love and service. If you're here this morning and you would say, yes, I'm a Christian, but you're, you're living in sin, you're living in a state of not walking with Him. Listen, in light of all that He has done for you, if you call yourself a Christian and you're living that way, you should come and repent. And that should be your response to this King today. If you're here this morning and you haven't reached that point where you've surrendered to Him, today can be the day where you do that. Today can be the day where you turn away from your life of sin, you turn away from your life of vanity and seeking after idols, and you turn to the true King. And you surrender to Him. And the good news is wherever you come from in life, He'll have you. Jesus never turns people away because of their background. He never turns people away because they've just gone too far. They've just messed it up too bad. Whether you're not a Christian here today or whether you're a Christian struggling in sin, as we all do, we know that He'll always have us. He'll always take us. Father, we're thankful for that very truth. And no matter how far we go, we have never gone too far for your grace. No matter how, how bad we are, you will never turn us away. Lord, for those of us who say we're Christians today, we, we know that the reason you don't turn us away is not because of our own acts of goodness, because we just can't measure up. But Lord, we know this morning, we are convinced this morning that our standing before you is not based on our filthy rags, not based on our attempts at performance but it's based on the fact that when Jesus hung 
on the cross, he paid for our sins in full. And to that we say, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Come and save, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.